Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners to this Mastering Life podcast and a bit of an interesting one this because um, um, somebody has a class as a personal friend and certainly um, is a pillar of the community whether you're talking about uh, the community itself or from a business uh, perspective. Uh, The gentleman in question was a very very well respected um, senior accountant for many many years, Um, had his fingers in many um, community pies and I mean that in a positive way positively influencing young people uh, through athletics to name but one Um, and so when I approached Paul Ellis um, somebody I've worked with also on um, the Brian Clough Statue Fund Committee about okay Paul give us some mentoring insights give us some some thoughts and some value around how we can inspire young people because you do that work anyway. Paul came up with this uh, idea and I should reserve judgment on whether it was good, bad or indifferent, the idea. Well, actually, why don't I interview you? So without further ado, I think uh, it's time to to hand over to Paul and say uh, welcome, Paul. Hi, Paul. And um, yeah, I'm I'm in your hands. It feels a bit eerie, um, but yeah, I mean, away you go. Okay, well, my uh, insight into this is that is more about having known Paul now probably for some 12 years, probably something like that. I've seen him change quite a lot in that, in that period. And we've talked from time to time about his life and it, it, it's, it makes me feel quite sad listening to him, but then very uh, uplifted to see how well he's turned out after some very poor times. And it's that that I felt was worth the listeners and, and people out there understanding. You know, it was it was about them trying to um, appreciate how you can turn your life around and how you can actually become somebody who is then helping young people. So, Paul, let's talk about your early life from – yeah, I, I guess you were born Nottingham, born and bred. Yeah, yeah. Nottingham, born and bred, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, a good childhood, younger childhood. Was it great? Or where did you go to school? Where Where did you? Where were your friends? Uh, Bestwood Estate. Um, so not not the top notch, but having well, said that, I, I was I, I was brought up in Bilbury Estate, and mm. actually for me, um, being a bit older than you, it wasn't so bad then. I was I was in Bilbury in the nineteen fifties. And it was not too bad an estate then. It had just been built, and it it it, it had a good social and a good um, a good community feel about it. But I guess you're going to tell me different for Bestwood. Um, we were very very poor, um, but it's certainly up until the age of seven, uh, well actually eight, very happy. And I've I've got real strong memories of the the positive influences from my life uh, from my mother and from my grandmother. Um, I think that's why to this day I've got such a strong and healthy respect for women. Yeah, so because, a very matriarchal. Oh, man. very, very, very much so. Um, 
My uh, my parents split when I was three. Uh, as I say, I lived with my grandma and my mother. Um, and life was great, extremely poor. I had a little black and white mongrel dog called Rocky. <laughs> I had a football to kick around. I didn't need anything else. No. Didn't need anything else. But that changed dramatically in 1968 when my mother remarried the guy next door. And... Um, uh, yeah, it uh, it started off. We we then moved to a place called Gamston, which is quite affluent now. But in those days, it was just field, farmers' fields, yeah. small village, wasn't it? Yeah, then? yeah. Um, and a caravan site stuck in the middle. I know. Um, on Basingfield Lane. Mm-hmm. Well, we moved to the caravan site. I know it well. Um, and I hated every second of it because I was I, I was a city boy. I was used to you know, um, playing football on the streets with my mates and uh, being out in the country and smelling cow dung every morning. It's like it it made me vomit, literally. Um, And I just hated everything about it. But that was nothing really compared to what was about to materialise because in the early stages of the marriage, there was, as as I look back on it, Paul, there were telltale signs that "Mm, this is going to be difficult. Right. And, uh, you know, certainly... The and, and I'll refer to him, the stepdad, as the beast. Yeah, so um, you, you you really can't almost bring yourself to, to say his name or anything. Um, I've just, I mean, I've, I've over the years, people that I've got a, a dislike for, I won't use the word hatred, I have been in that space before, right. but I come to a place of neutrality with them. Okay. Um, and that's my... That's your way of dealing with it. That's my way of dealing. I don't love them. I don't hate their persona. They're, they're just nothing. They yeah, don't yeah. exist. And that's the best way to deal with it, to put it put it out of your mind. Because if yeah. you hate, that's actually worse for you than for them because yeah. it eats away at you. And I spent uh-huh. many years embroiled in that negative, vengeful fear because it's based out of fear. Yeah. Well, t- just just explain to, to me and, 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 and the listeners about what it was about him that, caused you to feel that way? Well, I think it started off uh, initially with little acts of moodiness, um, more so to my mother to start with. So you were protective of your mother? Oh, very much so. Right. And she of me. Right. And that actually (laughs) created a bigger resentment with him. Yes, of course. Um, We we were inseparable, um, as you'd expect mother and son to be. And um, my own father was... Yeah. Did he have no influence on your life at no, all? Well, he did, but massively negative because right, okay. he was very much into the boxing circuit and his drunken mates. Right. And he used to come, he had custody of me on a Thursday and he used to turn up drunk if he turned up and then go. we'd go to his place, um, his house, and he'd go to bed and sleep it off. I'd be watching the afternoon TV, watch with mother or whatever it was in those days. And and that was it. There's some bread and jam and I'll see you in a couple of hours. That was it. If he turned up. So your opinion of men must have been awful. There was the two most influential people in your life from a male perspective, your father and then your stepfather, were probably two of the worst people you could ever had yeah. to influence your life. Yeah. I mean, interesting with, with Doug, my real dad, yeah. uh, my biological dad, shall I say. Yeah that I actually, I could kind of, when I look back on it, I mean, he's, he's dead now. He, he, he died quite sort of, uh, you know, karma, karma orientated, really. He died a lonely, bitter old man in a nursing home in northern Spain. Oh, really? Yeah, and I thought that was, well, the sword you live by. 
because you put yourself first in a very, very selfish way all your life at the exclusion of everybody. So then, yeah, nobody was interested in him. You, you know, the, you know, I, I had so many attempts to try try and patch things up with him that in the end, I just, I'm walking away from you. Yes. Because it's just, it's just, well, to say it was toxic is an understatement. But with Doug, I kind of, I know his history and I know how his behaviour was the way it was because it's what he'd been taught. Yes, yeah. Same thing we're going to come on to is that influence, that inf- the influence of your, their, his parents yeah. and his upbringing has on him as it yeah. has had on you. Yeah. But you managed to change it, but we'll come to that later. Yeah. Um, so he, he had a bad upbringing, I'm assuming, in some way. Well, he didn't because he had two brothers and they were they were completely different. They were nice They were gentlemen. Right. They were gentlemen. In fact, they used to fall out with him because they saw his treatment. He was the youngest of three and mm. they saw his treatment towards me. And I So could, they were protective of you? Um in as much as they could, but well, right. certainly the middle one. Right. Um, so you saw some good in some men is what I was trying to get at. You bet I'm talking I, about you being quite young yeah. and, and how you would almost be frightened of, of men, I would imagine. Um, yeah, that's And I could understand, Paul, how you would jump to that sort mm. of assumption, but mm. actually it went the other way. Right. Um, in as much that, and I don't know where this came from, but I created a very black and white mind construct um, obviously not consciously. It was it was pure survival. Yes, okay. Um, pure survival to the point where women are good, men aren't, mm. and that's fine. So if women will love me and I'll love them, okay, men, I'll fight them. Right. So this is the start of your mm. uh, antagonism, your, your, your uh, wish to, to, to hurt people almost, or at least to, to – to to lash out uh, at any opportunity? Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a case of of wanting to to hurt them, Paul. Because actually, after I'd sort of uh, given somebody a good hiding, um, I'd usually break down and cry. Right. So what that's have you done that for? Yeah. Why so have in, you done that? Yeah. So I know yeah. why it was. It was fear. Right. And I'm going to get him first. Uh, well, well, yeah. Talk about this fear. Then is that is that the driving force to being? Um, uh, a person who hits people is that is that, is that what you're saying to well, me? Well, it was in my context. Right, okay. um, it was insecurity. It was mm. vulnerability. I, I was a, I was like a, I was like a caged. I was a little little caged tiger, and I was frightened. My mother was doing her immense best to protect me. Yeah. What age are we talking about here? Um, well, as I say, I mean, uh, she married when I was eight. Mm. I think by the time I was nine. It had started to kick in. It had escalated quite badly by then right. to the point where we was getting regular beatings. She'd step into, you know, it had start with a, a regular, regular slap across the face for me. She, th- I mean, this was daily. This wasn't every blue moon with the apology. Oh, it will never happen again. This was like, this was life. Um, and she'd step in. Of course, she'd get a lot worse. Then I'd step in and it was just like a dog chasing its tail. And right. this just went on and on and on. So how did that affect you at school? Um, and and friendships. I well, I went to an all boys grammar school. Yeah. Um, well, which me. I did, but had a very different experience to you, I'm sure. And I deliberately used to pick fights with the sixth sixth form prefects, <sighs> knowing that I'd get beat at an age of eleven, twelve. Oh yeah, yeah, Gee. first year. Yeah. Um, and then in those days, it was very much ruled by. Yeah, again, fear. The the sixth form prefects used to use hockey sticks, mm. take you in the cloakroom and beat you. Right. And I knew this. 
And it's like, okay. And as much as I think you get to a point with physical pain where it's like, and I remember Nigel Ben saying this, um, it, you just become, it just passes. You're completely immune to it almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because my emotional pain was so much more intense. Ah, right. Okay. And emotional pain is serious pain. Mm. We're into suffering now. Right. Physical pain, you you will get used to it. Mm. And I did. And it was like, yeah, okay, another guard in, who cares? So as you, as you, as this went on and on, where did you see your life going? Was there any point where you felt you'd had enough of it? Yeah, where I saw it going was the one thing, um, other than my love of my mother and and also my grandmother and Rocky, of course, the black and white dog. Uh, where I saw it going was that one day I would wear the red shirt of Nottingham Forest. Okay, so that that was the only thing. In your mind, that kept you going. Yeah, focused, oh, purpose. Yeah. I yes. had a purpose. Yes. So not uh, study. Uh, uh, no, no, wasn't you interested. You, you were not a, a studious person at school then. No, but um, but but you had ability. I, I had a lot of ability, and I actually, when you passed your eleven plus in Nottingham at the mm. time, you then did, depending on your marks, a further exam to see if you were good enough for for high, high school. school. Yes, and I, I passed that as well. Wow! And I was advised, or much my cleverer was, than me, <laughs> my mother was advised, don't send him here. I think what they were trying to say is socially, mm. you're out of your depth, which probably would have been right. It would have been, it mm. would have been a mismatch beyond going to grammar school was bad enough. The only mm. saving face was the grammar school was stuck right in the middle of the council estate. Yeah, so, so that, it so, wasn't too bad. No, but the reality, Paul, I was never there anyway. Right, I was never there. So you, were you then always playing football? I mean, yeah. presumably you would, yeah. you just lived for playing football. Yeah, that was it. And yeah. that was your release away from all the problems you had at home, presumably. Yeah. yeah. And I played football in a very physical way. Right. And this is why I wrote about it in later years. I believe, you know, football or sport in general is a great reflection of who you are. So if you're, at the time, I was very defensively minded. I was cautious. I was skeptical. I was cynical. And I took that into my football as a defender. Right. You know, I laugh with um, with Brian Stubbs, who played uh, for Notts County, and one of Brian's sayings was, "Thou shalt not pass." And yes. I understood that. Yeah, and so you performed to a pretty high standard. Were you playing so semi pro level? Yeah, right. um, so, at the so time, that, that you know that was a a fantastic outlet. But so, what went wrong there then? I couldn't sustain it because my my life was black and white. Um, <laughs> Odd thing to say from a red. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my mindset was polarised. I now understand what, was, what went off. I didn't understand it at the time. Um, and just before I answer that question, mm. Paul, um, the turmoil and the focus on forest, the addiction, and it was an addiction, it was addictive behaviour, um, which manifested itself in alcohol, because my mother was a secret drinker. Right. So you you're already, and you found that out fairly early in life? Ten. Right. I followed suit. Right. As as early as, as that young? As early or, as ten. So you were drinking quite heavily by... Whis- tots of whiskey and tots of sherry, which she used to hide. And uh, yeah. And I, I know we're going off the point, but how did that affect you from a... Did that make you worse in, in your behaviour, do you think? Or did it calm you? Or, um, I don't know. Uh, didn't drink. I, I probably went to a pub by the time of fourteen, but not only drinking. I think at 10. it temporarily, you know, and it, you know, temporarily is is a very subjective term, but very, very minute, short term, numbed the emotional pain. Right, right. So anything to to take you Escapism. away from where you were. Yeah, Escapism. Yeah, yeah. Now I know there was a. 
obviously you had this obsession with 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 playing not only just playing football but playing for Forest. That was it. It yeah. was that. Oh, there was, was nobody that, else. No, and it was an absolute obsession. You say, oh. right? Okay. Did that help you at a, an absolute pit of your life? It did. It kept me alive. That's what. I but was it also to. nearly took my life. Right. Okay. Well, can you just cover that a little bit so we we yeah. can understand where you got to in your the worst part of your life in many ways. Yeah. Um, on the twenty first of March, nineteen seventy four, Forrest played away at Fulham. Uh, sorry, away at um, Saint um, Everton. Um, they drawn previous. Uh, they they drawn Newcastle in the Corp. Right, yes, we know where we're going with that one, yeah. And Forest were winning 3-1. There was a pitch invasion. I was, I was there, Paul, I know. Yeah. Um, you know the script. Mm. Uh, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, Newcastle ended up winning the game 4-3. Forest players got attacked, etc., etc. There was such an outcry, there was a replay at Goodison Park. The first replay was 0-0. Correct. The second replay on Thursday the 21st of March 1974, Malcolm McDonald, I believe, scored. Yeah, and it shouldn't have been there. It should have been at Forest um, because we'd, in effect, drawn away. So we should have been at home. Yeah. But the Football League, in their wisdom, said, well, if we take it to Forest, they might do the same. They might invade the pitch and if they were losing. That's actually what happened. Yeah. Crazy. Nobody would believe that now, but that's why we had to go again to Everton and we lost 1-0. Um, but yes, that was a terrible uh, game at Newcastle when Forest, being a League Two, a Division Two side, playing Newcastle in Division One at that time, yeah, uh, and we were well on top. I was there, my wife was with me, and she would. That was, that was March. She would have been six months pregnant, <laughs> but right. luckily we were in the stand sitting. But we we had a rough time getting out of there. I'll mm. tell you, it was pretty pretty ugly. But anyway, that was that was football as it was in in those days and seventies. But this had a great influence on you massively because I think the three games prior to that game against Newcastle were Bristol Rovers, which I believe from memory Forest won four three. I think they beat Portsmouth one nil, and there was a game where they called it the Mackenzie final, where they beat Man City four one. Yeah, and yeah, when we we're playing on a Sunday, which yes. was very unusual in those days. So to save my life at the time, despite all this stuff going off in the background domestically, it was like I don't care. The boys Forest. are on. The, they're going to lift the FA Cup. Now, I think it's fair to say over the years, certainly present day, the FA Cup has lost its glamour. For me, it is still the trophy to win above anything. Um, Which you've never seen happen. <laughs> no, and a certain irony with a certain Mr. Clough, uh, yes. 91, but that's another story yeah. another time. Um, so, yeah, um, so this, uh, on the 21st, they uh, Thursday the 21st of March, 74, they got beat 1-0. Two days later, they're away at Fulham, who also play in black and white. Mm -hmm. They got beat 2-0. Right. right. Your memory better than me, but I know there's a reason why it's so indelible in your mind. Well, that was the day I attempted suicide. Yes, that's what I was leading you to. Because I couldn't cope. My rationale for it was, how can you betray me, you being Nottingham Forest? How can you do this to me? I give you, and these weren't my words at the time, but they were certainly my emotions. Bearing in mind, my life was very, very, very emotionally driven. Very emotionally driven. There was no logic. Despite my so-called uh, superior intelligence, that had gone. We was down to basic, real, raw survival. Yep. Um, and I, I had this immense feeling of betrayal. I, I was literally sick, physically sick. and And I thought... 
if they're going to desert me, I've got, that's it. And so what used to happen was I used to have to go to the beer off at night. I was served underage alcohol for, for the beast, mm-hmm. um, local beer off, um, seven o'clock, because I was confined to bed. As soon as I come home from school, I'd got like 10 minutes to run from school, which was uh, up on the top there, down Arnold Road to where I live near Baseford Crossings. I'd got 10 minutes. If I was two seconds late, that was just an excuse for an onslaught. Good grief. Um, right. So it's bread and jam. Cold strip wash in the kitchen, bed. This this was life, day in, day out, day weekend. It was I was just confined to barracks or right. bedroom. Mm. You know, I, I kept in touch with Forrest via my mother. Right, she would tell you what was. She happening. would, yeah, because she knew. would let you listen to the radio. Oh no, 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 no. oh no! If I mm. mentioned the F word, mm. that was just there was. It didn't need a reason. No, some I of the cruelty and the abuse that went off. You know, um, I'd like have to sort of go outside where they always had an Alsatian. He always had an Alsatian. So I'd have to go out inside in the backyard and clear the mess up for the dog. Right. But while I was waiting for the dog to do its mess, I had to stand on one leg, look up to the sky and salute the sky. I mean, the sadistic cruelty that went off in this guy's well, head. Where did that come from from him? I'm not, he I wasn't don't a want to go, man. I don't I, want I don't to go down that route. But, I don't know. Oh dear, oh dear. Paul, it's, it, it, it makes it so much harder for me having had completely the opposite <laughs> life and this is why i think it's fascinating to to understand the insights of of why people get to where they do you've got to it gives you a chance to understand why people do things that you think well why are they so awful yeah there are reasons why they're so awful and you're giving us a lot of those reasons yeah. why and we need to move on in a minute to but i want to just understand why you didn't commit suicide that's you know and, and this is i'm very glad you didn't by the way this is one of those moments. I mean, I went to a place called Dicky Dido. So he, the beast called me down, go and get the couple of bottles of brown ale. And, and I knew exactly what I was going to do because my mother come up crying. Um, and she said, so I knew that. She's the, had enough almost. Well, she was talking about the football. Oh, right. Okay. So, okay. She knew that obviously yeah. they'd got beat by yeah, Fulham and she at would, Craven Cottage. Right. And, and she just, so she knew. What effect it would have on you. Yeah, she knew I was at breaking point and right. she just you know, wasn't her fault. No, of course not. But, but in my mind, yeah, this is the power of what I know is the power of beliefs. Be careful what you focus on mm. because, you know, it, it can lift you, but it can also destroy you. Uh, and that's what happened. So anyway, um, I went in the, um, in the bathroom uh, at five to seven. I got a, um, a razor blade, the old style razor blade. Yep. I put it down my underpants and knew exactly what I was going to do. Um, and when I went out the door to go to the beer off, I ran to a nearby area called Dicky Dido's, which is like some caves where all the coal lorries used to go. And I thought, I'll go there. It's out the way. It's very, it's about two, two three miles away near Ball Common. Right. Um, near the Golden Ball Pub, as it was at the time. Um, nobody will ever find me, and that'll be it. So I went there and um, pulled the razor blade out, held it to my left wrist, and it was five past seven, I remember. Because um, I did have a watch that my auntie bought me, and I treasured that watch. Mm. And uh, I looked at it, and I thought, right, this is it. And this sounds really, really strange, but you know, people say, well, you're not really a woo-woo, flowery person. But <laughs> I had one of those moments; something just come over me, and it's like, no, no. And it was almost like a message: your your job on this earth is to fight for others. Your job is to fight for others. I didn't understand this, but I knew all I understood in very black and white polarized. No, I can't do this. Wasn't the fear 
of, no. of actually ending my life. No. I'd long, long, long time ago come to, hey, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I just, just a question. I knew I was going to do it. Just give me the right moment, and that was it. Forrest had snapped me in two. Right. That was it. Bang, it's over. Did you not have any regrets about how your mother would have taken that? How, were you not letting her down? Um, there was, I recall, Paul, I mean, it's a very good question. You've got to understand the mindset I was in predominantly. That said, there was a small part of me that at the time that came into play. Good. That did come into play. Once I'd had that, I hasten to use the word awakening, call it what you want, yeah. that intervention mm -hmm. from a source far higher than me, I don't know what that was. No. But it was there. And it's, it's happened again in my life twice okay. afterwards uh, on different issues. Right. Uh, many decades apart, Hillsborough being one of them. Um, but to answer your question, after I'd had that, and let's call it awakening, I did have that realisation of like, now I know I'm here to fight. Yeah. I didn't quite understand the subsequent years it had mean literally. Yes, we'll come on to that. <laughs> <laughs> but that that was it. And it's like, Imagine what, you know, because I, wor I worship my mother. Yeah, I exactly. My That's what I was thinking. Um, but you've got to understand, Paul, at the time, my, my whole mindset was upside down. Yeah. Totally scrambled. Yeah. But in, interesting that, in a way, I could say that was the beginning of where you are now. Oh, absolutely. That was the beginning. That, that we could call it divine if we were religious. I, I have some religious... Uh, background and I, I i do have some beliefs in that direction so i could say that, that was perhaps a, a you know an in, a, an intervention from a higher being mm. you could look at it differently i don't i'm, don't, I'm not getting into that but uh, there was definitely something that mm. that that has, has mapped your life into you know where you are now which is a completely different place yeah well i think it was the was it the buddha that actually said and you know just to touch on the religion thing paul i got mm. into a lot of fights about in my early child about whether i was blue or green um you know ah right so we're talking about protestant catholic yeah because i had a very very strong influence from the irish communities right so you so you so you had you were you you had you you had knowledge of, of the irish situation yes right and so what happened there was I actually got into fights with both camps because for me, my, and I wrote, well, for the, for the sake of decorum, I won't quote verbatim, but it was along the lines of mind your own business. You don't stick a label on me. Now I've got strong views about labels these right, days. Right. Yes. I agree with you actually. But, but I, certainly in those days, I didn't mm, understand about no. those things. All I knew was I was me, but I think it was, was it the Buddha who came up with this definition about religion? He said, the only religion there is, is goodness of the heart. What colour you are is irrelevant, and I love that. And I agree with you. I've, 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 I've known two religions. I was brought up a Catholic, so I know a lot about that and the influence it had. But I ended up uh, worshiping in a, in, a, in, a, in a Church of England, a Protestant church. Mm. So, I, I, and my view is it, it's the same. Why do people put labels on them? So, yeah. I'm in your camp. Yeah, uh, it's that goodness of the heart. And correct. So, That's what it's about. Um, anyway, so there we go. We, we, we've got to. We've got to the depths now. Well, perhaps we haven't yet, but, you know, that was probably the worst point. You you moved on from there. You managed to, to, to not do that, but your life didn't get any better. You no, became more and more aggressive, more and more mm -hmm. getting into trouble. 
Tell us a bit more about that. Well, life had literally become black or white because what I developed was this mindset um, of um, coping through drink. Yes, yeah, so so drink was now having a bigger and bigger influence. Oh, massively so, massively so. Uh, because obviously once I got to 14, 15, I'm going in pubs now. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I just, yeah, I mean, this addiction to alcohol was actually an addiction. It was addictive behavior. It could have been anything. And in latter years, it manifested itself as anything because I developed this win at all costs mindset. Mm. I will win. No matter what it is I do, I will win. But that kind of helped your football. No. Well, the bottom line is on the football. I had a trial uh, and I wasn't good enough. But I actually didn't take that as bad as what I thought. Um because I think by then I was, you know, I was, I was sort of uh, late 14, early 15. This was af- just after. Yeah. And it's like, okay, because I've got a new purpose now and it's to fight. And it's a rather patronising term, but to fight for the underdog. Yeah. And that's my reason for being here. Yes. And I'm going to do that. So that's why I deliberately put myself in positions where I would endure physical pain. Mm-hmm. I would go into gang fights where I was outnumbered knowing that I was absolutely going to get beat, but I didn't care. It's like, I want I, you to take me within a, a fraction. Take my life, because mm, I've been there before. Yeah. You can't hurt me. No. Amazing position. I cannot, Being a very gentle soul, I just can't imagine it. I don't think I've ever thrown a punch at anybody, hardly anywhere in my life. I just wouldn't know how to do it. It's, 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 the contrast is, is great for me in understanding uh, things. So, so this idea of... of, of fighting for everybody and, and taking the underdog's position, which I, I, one could admire that, that, but obviously the way you went about it, perhaps we wouldn't. But that carried on for many years now. We, we, we're, we're in the influence, presumably your stepfather was gone at some point and your mother had died or you, you, when you get into teenage, was it later than that? No, I mean, my mother, she died when she was 64, about 13 years ago. Right, so, it, so um, it's, she was still around. What about that? But she wasn't with your stepfather? Well, she, she left him in the end. Right. Because so. I can remember one of the conversations. She did eventually find happiness with a third, third oh, marriage. Oh, isn't that good? She had 20 years. Oh, um, that's lovely. Because my my dad used to beat her. Yeah. He was a drunken wife beater. This mm. guy was beyond sadistic. Yeah. Um, but she did find, find happiness eventually. Well, isn't that great? Um, yeah. I mean, she died at the age of 64. No um, age these days. but Through mm. lung cancer. But mm. she said, look, I've smoked all my life. It was yeah. my pleasure. Mm. That's the price I pay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for, for you, you moved away from home then? Yeah, I mean, I actually moved in with, when I was 15, I was living with a girl of 18. Wow. Because um, I'd grown up so, well, yes, actually, yes. I hadn't grown up. No, but you felt you had. Um, but as a boy on the street that was actually wild, mm. um, you know, so there was all this st- sort of stuff going off. Um, interesting, when I left the, the home or the house or the jail, as I call it, yes. uh, of the beast, I, va- I made him a vow. And we walked out that day and I whispered to him just as I was passing, I will come back one day and I will kill you. That is a promise. And my mother said, what did you say, son? I said, I didn't say anything, mum. I didn't know. She said, you did. What did you say to him? I said, I don't slept. So you must be hearing things, you know, Mm. because she'd she'd worry. Yes. But But she she didn't want you to do that. 
Yes, to him. yeah. And that was a but vow. But that wasn't about him, it was about you. That was a solemn, solemn vow I made to him. Yeah. And I just stared at him and it's like, you know, you've got no hold over me now. No. You might beat me physically, but <laughs> I'm way past that. Yeah. But then you left and went away from there and got, you were, you, yeah. You were working at Forest, or is that? Well, that was in many, many later years. All right, okay. So we uh, we'll jumped too years. far on. Yeah. So was this period then one of fighting and drinking? And, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, and but still playing football, or did that even that slip away? Watching, uh, watching Forest, yes. Watching Forest. I mean, it's interesting. The Forest thing is when they started enjoying. I stuck through them um, through thick and thin, but when they started enjoying their European successes, yes. I'd still got that mindset. Oh, you don't need me now. Okay, I'm, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> Weird. You know, it's like, okay, they're okay now. They don't yeah, need so, me. So they're not the underdog, is that they're what They're not saying? the underdog. And I switched off from them. Really? I don't think you ever, you know, I'm talking many decades on now. Mm. Um, you know, was it the uh, the 40th anniversary this year of the European Triumphs? It, it will be next yeah. uh, next May. Next it will May. be the 40 years since uh, Munich, yes. Yeah, so I've still got that kind of emotional attachment, mm. but in terms of, you know, my being there, kicking every ball and every tackle and, mm. and you know, no. Mm. After that European sort of, that's it, I've done my bit, I've looked after you, <laughs> and I'm off now. Right. You're in good hands. Yeah. Which when we, just going back to what you said at the top of the conversation, mm. Paul, about positive male role models. Yes. A certain Brian Clough came in January 75, I followed that man's every word. Yeah. You weren't around Forrest at that time. No, oh, no, no, I was no. still a kid. Right. Of course, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking of my age now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So he had, you know, he, did you see him as a, a role model? Did you see him as an influence? Did he have a, just, did he have an effect on on you? Oh massively. I just resonated so strongly with what I perceived at the time is very brash. I don't care about the world. This is the way it is, and this is the way, you know, certainly with my judge, jury, and executioner mentality that I'd got with guys, probably wrongly, I saw that in Brian. It's right. like, this is the way it is, world, I'm here, yeah. deal with it. And that was very much my mentality. With females, it was a lot softer, and I used to get hurt massively right. because that was emotional pain. And I right. never, I don't think, I don't know, it's an interesting one. That's a separate, I mean, we could be here talking about <laughs> emotional pain and how to deal with that. Certainly as my work as a mentor now, I have got strategies and know to how to steer people away from that path. But it's it's, it's a real, so, real hard road. You're saying, I think, and you alluded to earlier, almost mental pain's worse than physical pain is what you're saying. Well, emotional pain. There was a mm, sorry, emotional pain. Yeah. Um there, there was there was a, a man of the cloth that told me years ago, and I, funny how certain things stick in your mind, even though you don't understand them. And he said there's like a hierarchy. Um, of, of things in life and he said if you want to deal talk about pain um, and it was just a, a chance meeting with this this man of the cloth mm. it was no he wasn't in my circle or no. I in his or anything like that he said at the bottom of the pile is physical that's easy really? well of course you're talking my language yes now, and, now you've got me mm. he said the next step up is mental right the next step up is emotional and then the real, real, real hard one to come to terms with is spiritual. Right. And that's how I class myself. You know, for somebody that doesn't like labels, well, here's a label that I'll adopt. I class myself as being a spiritual person. Right. 
And that's why I make perfect you don't, sense. That's not quite the same as religious, is it? No, it's not. No, just no. to be clear. Religion can be part of being yeah. spiritual. It all yeah. depends what you're deaf. Because I've had this conversation with people um, that are, you know, do have religious convictions. Mm. But that's that's their take and that's fine. And that's to be respected. Correct. It's not mine. I, I prefer that more holistic. Yeah, Look, I, I don't want these colours. I don't want these labels. If you've got goodness in your heart, you can stick what label you want on it. You, you do the labelling. I'm off. To do whatever I can. Yeah. Okay. So we've we. How did you just? How did you earn your money? How did you work? You know, having gone through all this and not, you know, not done particularly well at school, I guess, and mm. and uh, got this aggression in you and the influence, but moved away and managed to find somebody to go and live with who presumably was paying the bills. How did you start paying your bills? Um, I'd at a very early age got a, a six month on, six month off black and white policy approach, call it what you will. I would work like mad for six months. Right. And then I'd throw it all away. I'd got, by this time, I'd got serious deservedness issues. My self-worth, my self-esteem, respect was, it was below zero. Right. Pride and ego kept me going. It built me up. I would abstain from drink. I would train really hard. I'd play football. I would work hard. I'd do, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'd be a good in a good relationship, mm-hmm. life would be going so smoothly, but I wasn't deserving of that because right. I was told what a complete waste of space and nobody will ever love you because you're this, you're that, you're the other. And by the way, don't look at me like that. Bang, bang, bang. That was ingrained in me. So you destroyed it because you knew you always thought it would always go wrong. So I may as make it go wrong. Kamikaze mentality. Yes. Well, I'll yeah. get in first. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I do get that. I yeah. don't get it, but I, I understand yeah. where you're coming from. Wow! And that was so that so you so you were you were you were able to work and earn some money, and then you blow it all. Yeah, basically, and blow any relationship you had. How did you then come out of that? Well, what made you? Because I'd come got out of- I'd got a mindset that would say six months on, so, six and months, it was and I just could, literally that. Literally, it was like a clock. I would set it in my mind. So I could say, right, if you imagine six months from now at, I don't know, give a time, uh, 22 and a half minutes past four on the 13th of March, that's when I will stop. And that's how it was. And I can tell you then when I'll start, just add six months on to the second. Because somebody bet me once about packing the drink up for for a year. Mm. And I said, that's easy. Bet I'll bet you. Mm. It's fine. Bet Mm. me. And I said, be very careful of what time we agree and we shake on it. It was for a fiver. Right. For five pounds. And this was down the bridge at Gamston in later years. Um, and I did it. And I right. said, just be just be careful to the second. Yeah. But I was like a time bomb. Yeah. And I did it. Yeah. So were you progressing in, in, in work? Were you were you did you you obviously had six months when you worked hard, but you were not progressing in any career or, or anything? Well the thing is, Paul, I had a purpose. But I only had an existence, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And this is why when I look at my three pillars of life model now, which around the first one is purpose, yeah. the second one is prosperity. What I needed to learn is how to love myself, how to forgive myself, to make my life full of love. Mm. You have a choice in terms of black and white. It can be fear or it can be love. Mm. But boys that come from the backyard I did, you don't talk about love. No. You don't. Big no. boys don't cry. Of course not. Absolutely not. That's how I was taught, never. No, so, no emotion. No, no just no. get on with it. Yeah, just do yeah, it. Just yeah, deliver yeah. the result. And that, the result. Was, that was our era. That was our era was, 
you know, my dad was, you know, my parents were loving parents, but there was no real emotion between us. We, we mm. they just they did what was right and looked after me, but they, they I, I find it hard to go around hugging and people and 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 that because that never happened to me. I did, yeah. never understood it. It, 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 and I think that's the era that certainly that I lived in. I'm being a bit older than you. That was definitely, and it was it obviously still had come on to you, but. <laughs> You, I probably got to know you when you were in your 40s, 30s, 40s? 40s. 40s. So you you got to that point, but you've been fairly successful then. You'd, you'd, you'd been able to work in a, a career of sorts. You'd, you'd uh, knew how to organise things because you you know, we actually met when we did the Brian Cliff statue, as, as you alluded to at the beginning. We, we were on the committee together and you came in and did a fantastic job in organising uh, one of our biggest fundraisers, which is a big dinner. But you knew how to do that. Where did all that come from? Well, that come from my one of my white periods when I was six months off it. Right. Because I would literally scale heights. I would go to, you know, because of whether it was my intelligence, my determination, probably a bit of both, I'd get focused on a task. And that task, that that win mentality, it would be done. And it, that eye to detail over and over, and let's detail the detail. Mm. Um, it would no stone would be left unturned. Mm. In fact, I'd invent stones, um, and that's why I was successful. Mm. The challenge on that was the deservousness would kick in. Yeah. So remember, this is only probably twelve years ago. But at that point, the, the period when I met you, you're in the six month on the right side. Within another six months, you were not. Absolutely. So I only a little bit experienced that. So I'm at home in bed and my phone rings at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and being me, I always have my phone on and always answer it. And it's Paul by the Brankle statue saying, guess where I am? Look what I'm doing. And you were drunk. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. So how did you move on from there? Because my understanding is now drink doesn't come into your life. No, it doesn't. I'm, um, I'm nine years. Explain dry. that. Um, it was one of those defining black or white do or die moments that um, in um, in February 2010, I thought I was going to die. Right. Through drink. I honestly thought my time had come. I went on a massive bender. Mm -hmm. I was actually in a good frame of mind. It wasn't, you know, I was happy. I thought I was happy. Clearly underneath I wasn't. Um, and I went on a mad one. Right. And I just knew that my time had come. And it was that, okay, if Sorry. I get through this, and I kind of knew I would, somewhere deep down, I knew I would. i tell you what, things are going to be so different, and I will never, ever, ever touch the stuff again. Because I've got friends that are in recovery, and they'll say, you know, and listen, that program works for, the, for those people, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, That's fine. It didn't work for me. It wouldn't work for me. But I can tell you one thing. I will never, under any circumstances, touch that stuff again. And I, and I will take that to my grave. Is that because you're frightened that what it no, would do? Because no, because death doesn't know. Because I believe as energy, we, not oversimplifying it, but we just take a different form. Mm. Our spirit lives on. So how do you just go on a tangent there? Had you tried to... To go for to rehab or, or anything, you never tried that. Um, not through. I mean, I'd, I'd you know through my hardened uh, drinking, I'd been involved with a lot of people that were um, that had been through the process. Uh, I think the nearest I came was um, 
I went to an AA meeting once. Right. It lasted about five minutes. Yeah. And, you know, as I say, those, those people do immensely good yeah, so stuff. Yes, I was going to ask you about whether you thought that was a it, – it, it's horses for courses. It's not – Absolutely. You can't say, oh, that never works because it does. It does work yeah. for lots of people. But yes. for you, it was not right. It wasn't right for me. And I needed to be put in the corner. I needed a black and white situation in my life to say yes or no. I needed to bottom out and that was it. And it was the 6th of February, 2010. Wow. So are you now, uh, have no doubts that you have, have self-worth now? Do you still oh, have doubts? Not whatsoever. So really? No, um, I'm, I'm in a really, really good place. I've, you know... I've, I've traveled the world and yeah. um, I've dealt, um, been mentored by, and this is why I massively believe in the power of mentoring. Yes, and we're coming on to that now, um, so let's get on to the mentoring. You know, Cluffy was a very, very strong, influential part mm-hmm. of my life. I spoke to Simon um, privately about, you know, the right. journey yeah. in, in latter years, um, and, and obviously the content of those uh, conversations will be uh, respected and kept private. Of course. Um, but the power of mentoring... Um, you know, I've been influenced very heavily by some of the top practitioners in the world. I've still had to do the work myself, but I've had the insights. I've yeah. had the awareness. So but let's be clear about that. I've heard other people talk about this. Mentoring's not just coming along and saying, oh, I did it this way, so that's the way to do no, it. It's the last thing it is. Right, okay. It's and, the last and, thing. And how did you end up having this idea, not idea, this that that was where you were meant to be. Why did, why did you think you were meant to be in this place of helping and mentoring people? Where did, where does that come from? I think it goes back to that um, failed suicide back yeah. in seventy four. Well, I wondered that that mm. realization. You mm. know, that's that that rocked me mm. to my very core. Now, listen, I'm a kid that's emotionally distraught. I haven't got the intellectual or spiritual, emotional intelligence to rationalize any of it. But what I did was I survived. Mm. I created, you know, yet again, this very, very black and white way of being. And I knew which way. So this way, I will look after other people. I had big problems, people doing favours or for me. Right. No, I'll yeah. control this situation. Yeah, yeah. I give to you. You don't give to me. Mm. That was the old deservousness. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've let that go. But you've got past that. Oh, way past that. Because right. how can I mentor people now? You know, I have to have the full spectrum of experiences within my locker to be able to empathise with somebody when he or she's telling me about a situation. How can I have authenticity and congruence if I say, well, yeah, actually, well, this is what you should do. And oh. I would never say this is what you should do anyway, no. because you can't. I think well, as a mentor, what we are is people that I use the analogy of, OK, so we're going on a journey of discovery now. It's your car, it's your keys, you're driving it. I'm your co-pilot. What I might suggest is let's try and find out where our starting point is, because that's always useful. Yeah. Where you think the starting point is, where do you think you might want to go? And let's use simple language like I want to go up. I want to go on a journey of discovery up north or down south or east or west. OK, that's fine. Mm. Okay, so as we're going on this voyage and you're driving, it's your car. Me as a co-pilot, as a guide on the side, might suggest, well, actually, probably best if you skip that road. It's your choice, but I'd like to share with you, if I may, an experience I had by going that road. Now, you make the decision. Now, I'm painting the kind of the Democrat. There are times where 
if I think somebody's life's where I will step in and be autocratic. Yeah, so you have to sometimes when you make that judgment. Yeah, Depending but, what the… But, but we've already had that discussion. It's not just about saying, well, I did that, therefore that's the way. No, absolutely right. not. Okay. But would you be, and this is my opinion, such a good mentor if it wasn't for all the things you'd experienced? Oh, no, no, no. Not, not a chance. And I'll put this, I am so grateful for my life. Really? Honestly. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because the beast, I saw him about, interesting when I stay uh, back in, when I fly back from Spain and I stay in Nottingham, yeah. the place where I stay mm -hmm. is about 10 metres. As I look over the wall, it's like a, a ward-naded complex because a friend of mine who's, uh, who's, who stays in there. Yeah. So I stay in the guest room. Right. So it's like um, a sheltered accommodation. Yep, And as you look over the wall, mm -hmm. it looks into the backyard of the jail where I was brought up. Oh, dear. And about two, three months ago, um, I had a look and, you know, it's all boarded up. Oh, and, is it? Right, yeah. okay. And the guy, the beast was outside snapping. So he's still around? He's still around. Wow. Uh, snapping twigs and, you know, tidying the garden up. And I looked at him and, and I could have done any, I could have played mind games with him. I could have mm. done anything. I could have, you know, bullied him mm -hmm. verbally. Mm -hmm. And I just watched him and I thought, isn't it interesting in life? Look at this this prison now. It's got bars up. It's got cameras up. It's got this. You're a prisoner in your own arm, in mind. Yeah. You've created a self-fulfilling prophecy. People say, do you believe in karma? Absolutely, I do. I think there's an energy that we put out there in the world, and that can be good. It can be bad. But be careful what you what you focus on because it will come back. And that has proven itself time and time and time again in my life. Well, I'm very pleased that you weren't in the uh, mindset that you had been when you were younger uh, when you saw him because you, if you re remember, what did you say to him as you left that home when your mother asked mm -hmm. you what you said? You said, I'll come back and kill you. Yeah. Now you wouldn't. No, but I did I did do that. I was true to my word when I was 28. Right. Um, and I went to the, the property. Right. I kicked the door in. Right. And I had every intention of killing him. Okay. And... There was, you know, we talk about divine interventions. I said there were two other instances. Yes, he did, yeah. Well, this was another one where my life and his was saved because undoubtedly I would have killed him. Right. And to cut a long story short, something hit me from the back of the head just as I, I was ready to do the dirty deed. Right. You mean actually or metaphorically? Actually. Right. Something went bang at the back of my head stopped me doing it the next thing up uh, is in the early hours of the morning I woke up at my mother's where I was living at the time because I'd split up from my wife right and, and kids um, um, was when the police come knocking on the door it was like two three o'clock in the morning and all I kept saying to the police is where am I like mm -hmm. I've got concussion where am I yeah and they thought I was coming it right so of course when they interviewed me over the you know the incident mm -hmm. I genuinely couldn't remember but I wasn't bothered because, uh, you know, I think my admission at the time was, well, you know, what's happened's happened, but why did somebody stop me? Somebody did stop me. But as is the way on um, close shop inner city council estates, nobody knew anything. I understand. Because I did my own inquiries. Right, okay. And I understand. Nobody, now, somebody did. Yes. Somebody followed me. Mm -hmm. I don't know who it was. Yes. Somebody followed me and somebody stopped me. They saved his life. And, and the same line. Correct. 
So that's actually, we ought to find him and say thank you, didn't we? Well, <laughs> but there we go. I couldn't, yeah, I mean, I've since, you know, yeah, I've left that sure. behind. Yeah, and, and, and just, it's, it, it should be absolutely not in your mind at all now. And I'm almost sorry to bring it up because I no, think it's fine, you've Paul. moved forward so well. This is This is where I want to almost end it to say your life has been difficult, pretty bad. I guess you've had some difficult relationships with with women because yeah. of your of, of, of your life, it, it, your behavior. Yeah, so that has not helped you at all. Yet you've come through all of that, and now you're a much stronger, and you are now giving advice, which is where I wanted to lead us to say, well, without all of that, you couldn't have done what you're doing now, and that's that. We almost could end it there and say, well, that's the the great outcome is that you can, because of this, even though you had all those awful things, they've actually become good things. Absolutely, because I've took the learning from it and I've left the rest behind because the rest, you know, I use the metaphor of, you know, if you if you conceptualise that you put goodness um, into your body in food or drink, take the vitamins out, take the proteins, take the calciums into the fats, the good stuff you put into your body, healthy stuff, and then get rid of the rest as waste, so I always say to people, okay, so what would happen if you didn't get rid of that waste physically? You would die. Mm. Okay. Doesn't the same principle apply to stuff that we put through our minds then? Creative, negative, destroying thoughts. If we don't take the learning, brackets goodness out of it, and pass the rest off as waste, they're going to stay there and we're going to die. And that's what happened to me. Right. I'd like to finish by actually, I wouldn't say I was preaching, but I want to actually say something that I think people should take away from this. I'm quite involved with charities that, that, that do help people who are disadvantaged, is that the right word? Or people who are at risk of, of being excluded from school, at risk of committing crime and everything. You don't discard those people work with those people. These children, that we're talking about children here, those children probably didn't choose to be in their position they're in. And, and, and Paul's a perfect example. He didn't choose to be in that position where he was out fighting and, and, and causing mayhem. It, it was circumstance that caused that. In many, many, most people's cases, it's a circumstance and we need to help them through it. So, you know, take, take, take heed of what Paul said and how well he's turned out eventually uh, and don't ever write anybody off. I think that's a very, very good way to uh, to finish it, Paul. And I'd just like to sort of uh, put my two penny thing to finish it and just say that uh, as recently as, as today, um, I've met with two business colleagues, one from Wales um, and one from Essex. Um, and we're looking to, we're discussing, it's in its infancy now, about setting up um, something to help young people, the kind of client group that you've alluded to, to, to become young entrepreneurs. Give them some purpose. Let them have a life of prosperity so they enjoy their self-worth, their self-love, their self-forgiveness. Yep. And then when they've been on that path, they can give something back. And so the hamster's wheel just keeps going round and round and round. I agree. Paul, thanks very much. And thank you, Paul, for being... So open to everybody because it can't be easy sometimes to do that. Uh, it is actually because I've rationalised it and I've come to terms with everything. And, you know, just as I can go in a pub now and not even think about having a drink, I can also, you know, the label I give the beast is just a label. But the actual emotion is one of neutrality is 
He's not somebody I love. He's not somebody I hate. He's just, who is he? Oh, he's the beast. That's right. And on that unsavoury note, we'll finish. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.